Welcome one and all, it's about time we sit down and enjoy another brand new episode of My Big Fat Mouth. That's right, we've got another brand new fresh episode of My Big Fat Mouth today, and if all goes to plan, this is going to be going up a day early, which, uh, you know, is probably quite nice. Um, I've got an admin day tomorrow coming up that I need to kind of take care of, so don't have time to record it tomorrow, and that means it's probably going to be going up on the Saturday this week, so hopefully you are hearing this episode a day early. I've got some cool topics today, some stuff that I think is pretty interesting, and the usual sort of catch-up-y stuff as well, so let's dive into it, folks. Let's begin begin with what have I been up to uh, so uh, what are you what have you been up to mate what have you been up to Honestly, this week has mostly been a week of finishing things off, of tying up loose ends. I managed to get a lot of projects that were kind of dragging their heels a little bit, tied up and posted off this week, and I've got a few more that I think I should be able to do the same with next week. So, uh, Nial Stormcaller and Ragnar Blackmane both went off in the post today, uh, I think... Ragnar is the second video for next week, so you will be able to see the painting process of that. Those of you that are Space Wolves fans, uh, what else did I get done? I finished an Ambot, that's the first video of next week. That's going to be an interesting one. Um, I feel a bit shit calling it controversy, but it is a little bit controversial, I guess, uh, because that, that one has a lot of uh, oil-based uh, painting going on in it, and oils are kind of considered controversial. It's weird that they're considered controversial to me. We spoke about that in length quite a bit in last week's cast. Um, but, you know, they are kind of considered a bit controversial, so I suppose it's worth mentioning. Uh, so, yes, the Ambot was tied up and, uh, and a video was made for that. And then um, I finished designing my Iron Warriors uh, 2000 points list. Not necessarily the only stuff that I plan to collect for Iron Warriors, but I think I've just about figured out what my 2,000 points looks like. Uh, I think I've already got enough Marines on hand to cover most of the troops. I think I'm going to need to buy a start collecting Chaos Space Marines because I'm going to need the uh, I'm going to need the Master of Possessions. I'm going to need the Obliterators. I want the extra squad of Chaos Space Marines out of it. Um, and then the Venom Crawler and the Greater Possessed are both great shouts to kind of make some changes to my word bearers army so um there's you know there's definitely benefits there to uh to having that start collecting box um i think that's probably about it it's a pretty quick and simple what i've been up to this week in all truth i've really just been buckling down and working really really hard like i finished Nyal this week i finished ragnar this week i finished the ambot this week i finished uh one mtg altar this week and started another one um what else did i do i also made a start on um apes metal eldrad ulfran which i'm painting for him and that's to go with the plastic eldrad ulfran that i already did a tutorial on those will be going in the post soon um, I gave a lesson 
during the week. Uh, I, 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 it's been a it's been a fucking busy week. I'm not gonna lie, it's been a busy one. Um, so you know that, that that's good in the sense of it means there's been lots of stuff that can be turned into content, and that's great. Uh, we also started hangout and hobby, uh, which there'll be a little bit more on in the next section. I think because I think it's more appropriate for the next section. Uh, so do you know what? Let's let's just keep what I've been up to short and sweet. Let's not waffle for the sake of it. Um, let's just move into what I'm high on right now. <sighs> yeah, what am I high on right now? So, two things for this topic. Um, the first is, I won a fucking competition. I won a giveaway. Um, what, is it fair to call it a giveaway? I think it's probably a competition because you had to submit a miniature you'd painted in order to enter. So I think that counts it as a competition. Um, I won a Necron army, which is actually wonderful. So first of all, huge thanks to Alchemist's Workshops. That's the store that put on the competition. Uh, when I entered it, honestly, and I don't even mind saying this, it was kind of just an excuse to share a cool mini that I painted that I really like. It's just a quirky mini. It was a Halloween competition, and I painted that Reaper Pumpkin Knight a while ago, which um, Grey Paladin, the the Twitch streamer, uh, he actually owns that. Um, when I painted that, that was actually for a giveaway that I was doing, and he won that giveaway, so he owns that pumpkin night. Um, but, you know, I had pictures of it on my phone. I'd recently unearthed those pictures because I'd cleared my phone out to do some other stuff. And um, I saw it there on my phone and was like, well, I may as well enter this. It's a Halloween competition. They want Halloween-themed miniatures. I'm sit here, sitting here staring at a picture of a Halloween-themed miniature. Like, I may as well enter this competition. No expectations whatsoever to win. Um, and I definitely don't think that my entry was the best painted entry. So I don't I don't think it was a competition that they were maybe judging purely on merits of painting. Because um, that pumpkin night that I did, it was like... It, it, I did it during a stream. It was about, you know, four and a half, five hours work. It wasn't, like, a display piece or anything. Um... So I don't think it was necessarily a competition, you know, like a painting competition. I think it was just like a giveaway competition where they picked the mini they liked the most. And they kind of said in their post that they made about it that it was just the one that they kept going back to and it made them smile. And that's why they chose it. And that's kind of why I painted that miniature in the first place, because I noticed it on Reaper's store and I kept searching for it and hovering over the buy button, you know, and was like, I kind of want this mini. Um, I think it's actually called the Halloween Night, not the Pumpkin Night. I call it the Pumpkin Night because it's a knight with a pumpkin for a head. It's like a death knight. It's got like a coffin-shaped shield and a, you know, a horrible-looking sword and uh, and then a pumpkin for a head. So, um, yeah, crazy. I won, I won a Necron army. So I've got like, um, I've got this monolith here, which I took out of the box to take a look at today. It, it's, there is, this, this is... Uh, just a silly amount of plastic. Um, so I won. I won a monolith. Uh, I won um, the Necron half of Elite Edition. Uh, this this is an Elite Edition that's been opened and just had the Space Marines taken out of it. Uh, I won the Convergence of Dominion. That's another. That's another thing from the set that that I won. Um, trying to not ruin my office as I as I rummage through this stuff and then obviously there's warriors in the uh, Necron half of elite edition but in order to make up three complete troops choices they sent me two boxes of warriors so that's three complete troops choices for a battalion 
Um, and then two boxes of Scorpec destroyers. So they come with this. I don't know what this little thing is. I think I think this is like something that powers them up or something. The little little thing on the end. If anyone knows what that's called, feel free to let me know. Um, but that's like that's a pretty fucking seriously good prize. Um, very generous, really, really generous. And I, I had no expectation to win it. So what am I going to do with it is, is you know, the, the logical thing. Um, the thing that I'm high on is obviously the fact that I won a competition that I didn't expect to win. That's super cool. That's made me really happy. Um, that's one of the most joyful things that's happened to me in the hobby for a while, actually, because... I don't, I don't really have the best of luck with comps, you know, I just, I didn't expect it, it was out of nowhere. So what is that Necron army going to do? Uh, it's going to become the next studio army. So we have uh, a shooty loyalist space marine army, we have a combaty loyalist space marine army, we have Tau as a shooty Xenos army, um, the Gene Stealer Colts army that I'm building is going to be more close combaty. It's going to be lots of, like, you know, aberrants and um, stuff with rending claws and that kind of thing. Uh, so, although I will have to admit, I am playing, like, uh, six Achilles Ridge Runners in that list as well. So, it'll still be able to hold its own shooting. But it is going to be more combat-focused. Um, so then, you know, that'll be the sort of combaty Xenos army. Uh, and then we have a combaty... Um, Heretic Astartes army in the form of the word bearers. We're going to have a shooting Heretic Astartes army in the form of the Iron Warriors. Um, and then obviously we're going to be doing Necrons, which is, it's technically gone, it's probably going to end up being a kind of all-rounder Xenos army, um, just because like I want to base it around the stuff that they sent me as a prize, right? So the fact that we've got two units of Scorpec destroyers who are kind of, you know, their, their thing is that they're great in combat, I believe. I... I I have to admit, I don't know anything about Necrons, um, but, like, they're really good in combat, but, like, Necrons in general is a pretty shooty army from what I understand. Um, I like the idea of kind of doing the Silver Tide thing, of having lots of reanimation buffs um, and a lot of Warriors or Immortals. Um, not actually sure. Do Warriors and Immortals just use the same kit? I don't know. I don't actually know. Um, are they separate kits? I, I wish I knew more about Necrons as an army. Uh, I, I, it's like it's kind of cool because it gives me an opportunity to like start doing a bunch of research into Necrons and learning more about them, which is sweet. But they are one of the armies that traditionally I kind of overlooked a lot, um, and that might actually be a great thing because that means that as they become the next studio army, as I start to kind of build them and work on them. Um, that gives me an opportunity to start delving into a whole new range of lore and, and learning some new shit, which is wonderful for me. It gives me, you know, a direction for, like, new stuff to listen to on Audible and new videos to look up on YouTube for uh, the various sort of lore channels that I that I follow, um, which is actually mainly Oculus Imperia and Luton, to be fair. Uh, I don't... Oh, and Wolflord Row, actually. But I, I, don't, I don't consume a ton of lore content. I tend to consume lore content while I'm trying to learn about an army, but I don't consume it, like, regularly. It's not, it's not just in my regular rotation of what I watch on YouTube. Uh, that's mostly, like, painting videos and battle reports, to be honest, which is probably, probably true of a lot of people, I'd imagine. I would imagine. Um, so, yes, that is is very, very cool. Um, and, and, and that is something that I am, uh, that I am extremely, extremely high on right now that has made me, has made me very, very happy. So the other thing that I've been really high on right now, I don't know normally what I'm high on right now, I you know, is uh, it's one of the sections where I don't try to have too many separate things because I tend to have a habit of waffling about things that I'm really high on. But I 
have to take a moment to talk about Hangout and Hobby in my Discord server. Um, trust me, like, if you're currently listening to the free audio version of this podcast and you like it, um, if you pledge to my Patreon at $1, you get access to my Discord and you get the video version of this podcast so that you can, like, see things when I hold them up to the camera and stuff like that. You can also see, like, how fucking faded my hair is. I, I suffer with um, with a bad scalp problem, and I can't re-bleach my hair when my, when my scalp is flaring up. And it's been, like, really good for ages, really, really improving for ages, and then literally just the last few days it started flaring up really, really badly again. And so I just, even though my hair desperately needs bleaching again so that I can re-dye it, I just can't touch it right now because it will fucking destroy my scalp. Um, anyway, that's definitely a tangent. That definitely doesn't need to be in the podcast. Uh, we'll, I'll leave it in anyway because that's how I roll. Um, but yes, like, if you are currently a, a consumer of the podcast who listens for free, um, Hangout and Hobby that we're now doing in the Discord honestly might be the biggest reason to join the Patreon campaign. Like, I am blown away by how much Hangout and Hobby is helping me get shit done. Um, basically, what we do is I'll stick my camera on because I'm recording anyway. I'm recording for, for YouTube content. Sorry, sip of coffee was necessary. Should have done that between takes, but but didn't. So, fall on me. Um I will, yeah, I'll, I'll stick the camera on anyway, um, and because I record through OBS, OBS can do this thing called a scene projector, where it just um, creates a new window that is a video of whatever your camera is currently looking at, and, uh, with, you know, with your graphics overlays on it and stuff like that, and you can full screen that scene projector and then screen share it in Discord. So even when I'm recording without needing to interrupt anything or cause any kind of difficulty or change anything or do anything extra, uh, even though I'm recording for YouTube, I can also kind of stream the entire process of painting something. So I sit in I sit in my Discord's uh, Hangout and Hobby chat room and, and I essentially stream for my Discord. But because it's Discord, what's happening is people are joining me on the mic and they're sitting down and painting at the same time and we'll talk about like what armies we're working on or what we're painting or how we're painting or we'll just talk about like general you know like current events or stuff you know other mutual interests like we have a lot of foodies in the server that kind of thing um and it's just so empowering for getting hobby done like i i worked so much more efficiently this week than i have worked in months it was amazing and i'm like I, I said to the guys, that the first Hangout and Hobby we did, I, I said to people, like, I'm going to start promoting this as a reason to sign up to the Patreon, because just having people to sit and chat to while you hobby, it just, like, it stops your mind wandering, it keeps you engaged, it's, it's so good, it's so fucking good, um, and I'm really, really excited to do more of it. I had a great time this week. Um, I've been hanging out a lot with Ape of Justice, with Victor Fonsati, with uh, Extra Crazy Greg. Uh, we've also had uh, Raman in there. We've had TJ in there. 
we've like loads of loads of folk who regularly you know you'll see in the credits of my videos on on youtube because they're patrons or you're uh, if you're already a patron you'll see them in the discord all the time um loads of folks have been joining us in there and it's been really really good fun uh, my old mate alan has come back to the server recently who is uh, i've mentioned him a couple of times on the podcast before he's like the guy who used to play the most warhammer with during sort of fifth edition which is kind of the fifth edition was the last time i was like really active in the hobby it's the last time i was like as active as i am now um and then i missed sixth and seventh and came back in again at eighth and um like alan was kind of the main person who i used to hobby with back then him and his brother and um he's back in the discord server now he's been hanging out in the hangout and hobbies he also is a youtuber as well he has a, a a little channel that he's trying to get off the ground um called prayers to the dice gods i recommend going checking him out he you know much like i was a few months ago like he's starting to really learn his craft now he's starting to really improve the way he does things um his content is heading in that direction of of starting to be what he creatively wants it to be and uh you know that's always a cool time it's always nice to catch content creators when they sort of first just starting to to get to grips with how they want to do things um i know you know those of you that have followed my journey closely will know there's been a lot of stuff that i've still been trying to figure out exactly how i want to do it um you know figuring out sort of what is sustainable for me in terms of like i don't want to do things in a way that i'll get bored of or fed up with uh how to present stuff you know what's the best way to promote stuff like you never want it to seem too shilly or too businessy but you also you know people need to know that this is kind of it is your living it's not just you sort of hanging out and doing it for the sake of it um you know striking balances in all of those areas kind of takes a lot of time um and the, the, the journey is different for every content creator everyone has different reasons for doing it um I know that when I spoke to Alan about his channel, you know, he's doing it more as a hobby. He's doing it more as something for fun, something because he enjoys it, something because he, you know, he has knowledge that he wants to share. And he is a, he's a great painter, brilliant miniature painter, um, tries lots of different stuff. You know, he's quite explorative in his approach to mini painting. Um, so he's well worth a look. And, uh, and, and yeah, he's been also hanging out in Hangout and Hobby in the Discord. So we're going to keep that up. We're going to make it a thing. Um, we won't be doing it every day, but we did three uh, this week and I don't think that will I think that you know that will probably become about the average that'll probably become about what you can expect I would say three is like three is like realistically how many will probably fit in most weeks um and that is mostly because uh at least one day a week obviously I have to record like a roll for YouTube videos so I need the camera pointing at my face talking to it kind of you know like i'm doing right now in the podcast and so you know i don't paint at all those days generally or if i do paint uh, you know i'm not gonna reset all the cameras and lights and everything just for showing you know just for doing like an hour's hangout and hobby i want them to be long and, and the other reason i want them to be long is because i have a lot of american patrons who you know because of time difference like can't even join until noon our time at the earliest um, so I want them to be like, you know, my full working day pretty much, um, you know, sort of nine till five kind of thing so that, um, you know, people can join at various points through the day and know that there'll be people to hang out and chat with while they, while they hobby away. Um, but it's been amazing and I definitely want to keep it up and really lean into it as a thing because it's super, super fun. And I'll, I'll say it again. If you, if you consume the podcast for free and you like the podcast, 
just that Discord and like the video version of the podcast alone is probably worth the one dollar a month it will cost you and I, I genuinely think you'll get a lot out of it because like i as the creator i'm getting a lot out of it so i truly genuinely believe that um, i'm very blessed to have a really nice community of people you know they're very pro inclusivity they're very zero tolerance to you know hatred and bullying um None of that shit goes down in, in, in my Discord, and I'm really, really proud of that. I have a moderation team of people that I really trust to ensure that people are kept safe and that um, people have a warm and welcoming environment. And uh, and, and that's great because, you know, they, they, they will also go as far as to call me on my own bullshit. If I fuck up, if I do something stupid, you know, my mods are always the kind of people who know that they can tell me um, and they know how to tell me in such a way that I won't get upset by it too much. Uh, so it's it's just a really lovely place and I think deciding to start that hangout and hobby has just made it that little bit lovelier. Um, I'm really happy about it and I just wanted to take a moment to A, celebrate that and B, also just acknowledge the people who sort of uh, nudged me in that direction, you know, sort of brought me to the point where I decided to actually do the hangout and hobby uh, because I'd kind of been on the fence about it for quite a while because it was essentially streaming and streaming was something I'd like really burnt out from previously uh, I used to be a Twitch streamer and um, I was actually doing quite well and all you know I was like I'd, I'd made affiliate I was probably about two thirds of the way to partner you know I, I was certainly sort of more than halfway over the line on the way to partner um, quite easily able to you know sort of pull pretty decent numbers some days and it was it was certainly starting to go in the right direction and I just burnt the fuck out so I was very apprehensive um to start a hangout and hobby in the discord in case it felt the same in case it felt like streaming and the pressures and everything but it doesn't it's just letting people watch me while I go about my normal working day you know that's all it is for me um and for what we collectively as a group of people get out of it, I think it's wonderful. It's just a way that we can come together, chat, be friends. Um, you know, it closes the distance a little bit, sort of makes makes the, the coronavirus era where, where we all feel very distant to each other, makes that feel a little bit less of a shit. Um, and that's a really nice thing. That's something that I'm, I'm very proud of. I'm very proud to, to have that um, as part of what I'm doing. Uh, and and long may it continue long may it continue so uh that is that is what i'm high on right now um those are the things that have made me very happy in the hobby recently now i want to get on to today's main topic main topic okay today's main topic um I've got to be a bit careful, not going to lie, because I I don't want this to be a rant. I specifically took the rant section out of this podcast because I don't want to do it anymore. But some of the stuff that I want to go over today could accidentally slip a little bit rantily. So forgive me if I go in that direction. I will try my very best not to. Um, the main topic I want to talk about in today's cast is bro science. Um... I guess I should probably start off by explaining what I believe bro science to be. Um, it's a mixture, a delicate mixture, a cocktail, if you will, of misinformation and disinformation. Um, it is the practice of overly uh, buzzwording up and scienceifying things that are actually quite simple in order to look more intelligent. And it's a shame, but Warhammer is fucking rife with it. Um, especially Warhammer Facebook groups, I will say that, I will say that. Now, prior to, um, 
prior to being a full-time artist, when I was still doing part-time art, uh, this was sort of after my chefing career, but before I went full-time into art, um, I did a few years in the um, electronic nicotine alternative industry, you know, uh, e-cigarettes, vaporizers, that kind of thing. And um, that is an industry that's particularly rife with bro science. And the reason it's rife with bro science is because uh, it was a very new technology and it was a technology that harmed the tobacco industry because it provided a cheaper, less harmful alternative to smoking. Um, and all of the quality science that was that was done on the subject concluded this, that it was it was less harmful than smoking. There were varying degrees of how much less harmful, depending on, you know, what the tests were done and how they were done. But all of the credible, good quality science that has ever been carried out on the subject has always been very, very positive. And so the problem here was that the people trying to undo the industry were using bullshit science. They were using uh, tests that used very skewed testing methodologies in order to force negative results. Um, one good example, for example, um, was that there was a, um, I think it was a Californian college that, that did um, maybe UCLA. I don't know. I, I don't. I, like. I'm. I'm trying to remember details that I only sort of vaguely can recall here. Um, but there was a Californian college that conducted a study that concluded that e-cigarettes contain benzene, which is a powerful carcinogen. Um, and that was how the headlines were going out into the media: was that e-cigarettes contain benzene, which is a powerful carcinogen. Uh, which is obviously, you know. That's a that's a, a dangerous thing to say, right? If you say that as if it's a fact, that's going to scare the shit out of people. Um, when that test was actually scrutinised, it was found that the temperatures that they were actually vaporising the e-liquid at in order to produce the benzene, in order to, to make that happen, were impossible for an e-cigarette to reach. An e-cigarette could never actually burn the chemicals hot enough for them to turn into benzene. Um, and I believe this was to do with certain specific additives that were used in e-cigarettes. I don't even know if they are still used in them, because I'm not in the industry anymore, so I don't have as much of a horse in that race anymore. I do still use an e-cigarette. You occasionally probably see this accidentally appear in my hand, or, uh, you know, you, in a live cast, you'll quite regularly see me stop talking for a moment to take a few drags. Um, but, but you know, the, the test was not untrue. They did get benzene out of e-cigarette liquid. That did happen. But the methodology which they used to conduct the test was designed to produce results that weren't actually practically applicable. Um, and when there's a lot of that going around, when that's the kind of shit that's being used to attack your industry, the industry that you work in, uh, a lot of the professionals responded to that by you know, quoting a lot of the quality science by, by you know, quoting excerpts from papers of tests that were fairly conducted, that were actually heavily scrutinised and found to be indicative of, of real-world, real-usage results and that kind of thing. And um, what happens is when you've got a bunch of people that don't really know about a subject, and, I, like, I'll hold my hands up here, like, I'm... I have no scientific qualifications. I do not have a deep enough knowledge 
to speak as an authority on this on on the you know those kind of subjects uh chemistry and biology are definitely not things that i am particularly knowledgeable about but when you've got a like a whole bunch you know thousands and thousands of people constantly quoting science that don't really understand science what happens is it gets watered down and a lot of bullshit takeaway science starts to form um and this then starts to get propagated and repeated by the masses and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people at this point have these sort of slightly incorrect or deliberately modified to suit their purpose statements that are structured in such a way to look scientific they use the right language and uh, or or they use what appears to be the right language it isn't always the right language um and it uh it leads to a combination of misinformation and disinformation uh misinformation in the sense that sometimes it's just not correct sometimes it's just things that people think are true but actually aren't and disinformation in the sense of sometimes people will slightly modify the facts in order to make it look more like the story that they're trying to tell um and it's a real shame that this is so rife in in the miniature wargaming hobby exactly the same thing happens all the time um and it, it like it takes it takes its form in really weird ways I'll, I'll give i'll give a few examples of um of stuff that i mean um currently like a really popular meme is the is the paint in the feral thing if you get paint in your ferals your brushes will fucking explode and take your fingers off obviously i'm being really extreme there no one's ever actually said that in the history of warhammer but you know what i mean like people um i i posted i, I did a stress test on two brushes in fact i think i've got both of the brushes still here they are both actually still here. These are the two. These are the actual two paintbrushes I did this stress test with. This is a cheap synthetic, um, like you know, dollar store type brush. It's like a you know a one pound synthetic brush. Um, I think I actually bought it off Amazon, but that literally isn't relevant. I don't even know why I decided to tell you that. Uh, and then this is a, a six pound Rosemary and Co Series thirty three size three. And what I did was I used. Um, so first of all, what I did was I actually kept a record of uh, how many miniatures I managed to paint with this brush. And obviously, like, you know, there'll be times where I forgot to write, you know, to put a tally on my little uh, notepad document, or there'll be, uh, you know, times where... So it's not like a super scientific test or anything. It's not, you know, it's not like a carefully conducted, really tightly controlled test. But I basically, you know, made sure that I knew roughly how many minis this lasted for. And it was about 50. I think it was like 47 or something. Um, and what all that happened to it was, and I can't really show you this uh, on the camera that we have available, but all that happened to it was, it doesn't. It just doesn't hold its point together as a point for very long now. So when you start painting with it, within sort of 10 or 15 strokes, the points started to kind of open up a little bit. Not open up so much that it's like a fucking fan brush, but just open up enough that you can't really paint sharp details or paint carefully with it anymore. So it's not useless. It's still, you know, you could still base coat a miniature with it probably, uh, or you could at least block in big shapes with it, no problem. You could still use it for applying washes. You could still use it for applying glue to bases, that kind of thing. Um, but this lasted about 47 miniatures. So somewhere, let's just say around 50, somewhere around 50 miniatures. And then this one lasted, um, so <laughs> these Blood Bowl halflings right here, 
Uh, as you can see, there's not a lot of flesh on them. It's a face, two arms, and two legs on each one. Uh, and there's like a little bit of belly exposed on some of them. Uh, I managed to paint the flesh tones, just the base flesh tones. So it was just the, uh, I think I started off with um, Bugman's Glow. I needed to turn around to remind myself what the paint was called. I started off with Bugman's Glow. And just base coating the Bugman's Glow on 12 halflings. Two arms, two legs, uh, a tiny little sliver of belly and a face on each one. Uh, the point completely angled off on this. And if I, uh, if I moisten it so that it comes back, you might... I think you can actually, even this far away, like I say, I can't get to my camera controls to uh, to zoom it. But I think if you look really closely at your screen, I think you can even see the hooked point from here. I know it's very small. Um, there was a photo that I put on social media, so you can see the photo if you wish to. But just in the process of painting the skin tones on 12 miniatures, uh, the point on this hooked over. Now, the reason I did that stress test is because I've always said for the longest, longest time that even if you heavily abuse your um, your sable brushes, even if you don't look after them particularly well, which I don't, I'm not very good with, with brush care because I, I'm always on a time crunch, so I rush a lot. I do not practice the level of brush care that I should. Um, but even if you don't look after your sable brushes, they will still go for a really long time. So as long as you're buying sable brushes that uh, are reasonably priced, and have the sort of shape that you like. Uh, that's the really important thing, is, is the shape of a sable brush. The reason I like Rosemary & Co so much is because they have a kind of skip line. Um, like, it's almost sort of, kind of like a pinstriping brush, but with a, a shorter nose. Um, what I mean by that is it has like a big fat belly to hold paint in, and quite a sort of long, tapered point that comes out quite a bit from the belly so it sort of acts like a quill it allows uh, wet paint to just kind of drop down into the bristles it stays wet for a long time uh, but you can still paint really tiny details of it because it has a really really sharp fine point on it um, and so I did this test to kind of show that um, synthetic brushes are a false economy essentially that was kind of or, or they're, they're, they're a really shit economy that was the point i was trying to show um it's not to say like don't paint with synthetic brushes synthetic brushes there's, there's a number of pros obviously um no animals have to be harmed to make them that is a huge pro i fucking wish there was an ethical way to source sable um because i hate the fact that it is the only thing that works well for how I paint it. it annoys the fuck out of me that animals have to be harmed in order for me to do my job I don't like that so in terms of ethical issues especially like if you're vegan or whatever um I can totally get why you'd use sable uh, why you wouldn't use sable in that case um if you're just you know spreading glue if you're just doing rough base coats if it's the brush that you use for mixing paints with that kind of shit synthetics are good for all of that um buy a cheap pack once like when you first start painting and just use them for all the shit jobs that you don't need any kind of quality from. But for your main body painting, uh, you can you can get a lot of work done from a, a sable brush before it dies. You can get a hell of a lot of work done from a sable brush before it dies. And again, the, like I said, the photo went up on social media. If I can find the photo, I'll overlay it into the podcast. But I don't know I don't know if I'll be able to find it now because it was a few weeks ago. Um, but this sable brush. One of the things about when I um, when I conducted the stress test was I didn't soap this at all 
during the time that I was that I was stress testing it. I never used brush soap on it, not once. And the reason for that is because brush soap, if it has any sort of conditioning in it, or uh, or anything like that, or any sort of deep penetrating kind of cleaning power or whatever, the the natural hair is much more porous than the synthetic hair. So that would have really uh, obviously again, you know, I'm I'm talking about bro science here and being really careful not to sound like I'm bro sciencing you. Um, but like we all know that real hair obviously has like little plates in it. We've all seen the shampoo adverts where the hair's like, you know, little jaggedy shapes and there are little porous areas where, you know, stuff can get into. Um, obviously on a, on, a, on a fiber that's made of plastic, those don't exist. So if we were to soap these when, when I was stress testing them, it would have actually skewed the test unfairly in favor of the, the natural hairbrush. And seeing as the natural hairbrush was already the brush I thought was gonna win, skewing the test in its favor felt like a really stupid thing to do okay so i didn't soap them at all and because of how i paint uh because i you know i'm often on a time crunch because i don't practice very good brush care anyway because i tend to both deliver paint from you know like if, if i'm using paint that's in flip pots i'll deliver it um to the palette with my main brush that i'm working with i'll mix on the palette with my main brush that I'm working with. So considering all these things, I always get fucking loads of paint in my ferrules. There's always, I'm looking at this brush now and the ferrule is full of paint, but it's still holding a perfect tip. And, you know, like I said, it's still it's still fairly usable. It's not, it's not great anymore. It's at the point where I wouldn't want to use it on a commission, but I, you know, if it happened to just be the brush that I picked up and I was working on something for myself, I wouldn't put it back down. It's not fucked, it's just, past its prime um it's at the point where i would retire it from using on professional level work so like how can how can paint in the ferrule possibly be as severe a problem as it's made out to be if i can absolutely fucking abuse a brush like really disrespect it i mean i said this in a in a pleasant kenobi's discord the other day like my brushes deserve a fucking bravery award for putting up with me i am not kind to them um how on earth can paint in the ferrule be such a severe problem if me as a really bad case of it me as a really extremely negative case of paintbrush abuse can still make a brush last for like nearly 50 miniatures how can it be this super serious problem? And every single time somebody posts a picture of a brush and goes, this frayed really quickly, every fucking response on social media is always paint in the ferrule, 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 paint in the ferrule. It's like, slow down, bro scientist. It's probably not paint in the ferrule. One of the main reasons brushes splay quickly is because they were they came with a fault in the factory. Like one of the main reasons that brushes, if a, if a brush breaks really quickly, like a, a, a sable brush, if it starts to splay really quickly, it's usually because there was a fault in the factory. It's usually because it was the starch gluing it together that had trained it into that point. And when it's brand new, that training is strong enough that it stays together for a few days. And then suddenly it fucking blossoms like a flower and it happens out of nowhere and it's really sudden. That isn't paint in the ferrule. It's never gonna be paint in the ferrule. But then like the bro scientists start to go a level deeper and it's like, yeah, cause it like the paint gets amongst the glue that holds the bristles in. And then like the bristles will start to like not sit in place properly because there's paint kind of pushing them out of place. And it's like, 
this is not this is not based in facts there is no evidence to support this none of none of you none of you are cross-sectioning your brushes and putting them under a microscope and examining where the paint ends up when they're old and splayed none none of you are doing any kind of testing that proves that it's paint in the ferrule someone just said it once and it sounded right so everyone's just adopted it as as if it's knowledge now um and that's the problem with that kind of thinking and that kind of behaving is that it leads us down a bunch of paths where we waste money, where we buy products that are not actually fit for purpose. You know, another grand example would be people using Dettol to strip minis. Um, I've heard many, 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 many times that uh, the reason minis, the reason Dettol is such a powerful paint stripper. For minis it's not a powerful paint stripper for minis at all it's really bad at getting acrylic paint off um but and i'm actually going to google search this while we're talking about it um the reason why people always say that um that Dettol is so good at stripping minis is because it contains ammonia that's what people say that's the bro science that gets pushed around on the internet all the time i've even heard this be said by people live on streams in front of like live audiences um so let's look at what Dettol actually contains the active ingredient in Dettol is chlorozylanol um which is 4.8% of Dettol's total admixture. The rest of it is pine oil, isopropanol, castor oil, soap, and water. So let's actually dissect that for a second. First of all, there's no ammonia in Dettol. So, you know, why are the bro science bros telling us that there is? Um, it's very easy to look that up and find out that it's not true, but it's a commonly spread misconception about the product. Now let's look at why Dettol can actually strip paint. And it will, like it will take paint off eventually with a lot of help from agitation and soaking for a really long time or ultrasonic cleaners or stuff like that. The reason it's gonna take your paint off of your miniatures is because if you look at that ingredients list that I've just brought up on the monitor beside me, two of the ingredients there, one is isopropanol, which we do use for stripping paint even at an industrial level um we also use it for thinning paint we use it for we use alcohol for many forms of degreasing of um cleaning away and preparing surfaces in electronics we use it a lot for cleaning pcbs and stuff like that and then soap is another ingredient that's in it um so it has degreasing chemicals in it and degreasing chemicals are detergents they are designed to remove crud that is stuck to things They're, that's their job their job is to unstick things from other things that's why dish soap works so well dish soap unsticks food from plates that's what detergents are for they they stop things from sticking to things so with enough help of course Dettol will stop paint from sticking to a miniature and subsequently you will be able to strip that miniature. But it's not a paint stripper. It doesn't contain really much of anything that is for stripping paint. Like isopropanol is not the ideal thing for stripping acrylic paint off of miniatures. And soap fucking definitely isn't the ideal thing for stripping paint off of miniatures. Um, so the, um, the, the, the understanding of it, like 
it's it's purported as being this amazing paint stripper it's not then the bro science explanation is it's got ammonia in it it hasn't um and like does ammonia even strip paint of, of, ammonia is what's in bleach right like is that even relevant is that even anything to do with paint stripping so there's all these people going out here buying Dettol at like, you know, five quid for a big bottle so that they've actually got enough to submerge their miniatures in. And they're like, oh yeah, it did a great job. It, it, you know, it only took fucking four days to strip my miniatures. <laughs> like, just buy a 15 quid tub of BioStrip. It will last you two years and it will strip your miniatures in 15 minutes. BioStrip is designed to strip paint off of UPVC windows and doors. That's what it's for. It's for cleaning paint off of wood, metal, and plastic. Happens to also work on resin, but you've got to be a little bit quicker with it because it can soften resin if you leave it in there too long. But, you know, point being is it'll work. But that's it. But it's designed for the job. It's designed to strip paint from two of the th three things that miniatures are made from. Miniatures are made from plastic, metal, or resin, right? Universally. Um, it does work on resin, even though it's not designed for that. But it's designed to strip paint off of plastic and metal. Why would you not be using something that's designed to strip plastic, to strip paint off of plastic and metal, to strip paint off of things that are made of plastic and metal? That doesn't make any sense to me. That Dettol is the most recommended paint stripper when BioStrip exists, right? But it is. That's the world we live in, and this is the this is the effect that that bro science has on a hobby like Warhammer. We we see it everywhere we see it literally everywhere people start talking about like the molecular structure of fucking different varnishes um you know when you if you're going to oil wash you absolutely must gloss varnish your miniature before you oil wash well no it will make it a little bit easier you don't have to yeah if, any, if anything the one that's really important is the varnish layer that comes after the oil wash because if any of that oil isn't a hundred percent dry you're going to start smudging acrylic paint into it and it'll curdle and go lumpy and it'll be really fucking annoying so like if if anything's important if anything's critical when it comes to oil washes and varnishes it's varnishing after not before if you don't like uh, and, and again you know i've done this a million times i'll need to do an oil wash on a miniature and I just can't be fucked to get the airbrush out just to varnish it before I oil wash it so I'll just oil wash straight onto the paint and 100% of the time it works like it literally never causes me a problem um, the only one time I've had an issue with it is Corax White doesn't particularly like uh, White Spirit for some reason something that's in Corax White because uh, you know a lot of a lot of Games Workshop's um, high coverage paints have that really kind of clayey powdery consistency I'm very sorry if you can hear next door's kids screaming and by the way I'm so sorry if you can um, you know that has that kind of clayey powdery element to it and um, I don't know what it is I, I'm not actually 100% sure what that what that base is but it just doesn't like white spirit if you put white spirit near it it starts to lift i don't know why that is um but that's like a specific thing to that paint it's not like it ever does it with any other paints it's literally just that paint that does it um if you've got thin layers of inks down and you start fucking sweeping white spirit around it'll pick those up as well um i think that's mostly just because they're so thin though i think it's just agitation with with how thin the ink is but these are the dangers of bro science in the hobby um so what do we do about it? What do we do about bro science? Well, there's kind of two methods. There's kind of two approaches. If you are informed and you can actually back up what you're saying, if you've actually got solid evidence, not evidence that comes from a hobby source, 
because they're pretty much all biased in some way or another. If you've got evidence that comes from like a manufacturer of a product or a scientific study that's been done on something that relates to the hobby, you know, if you've got that kind of evidence, then if you see bro science and you're worried that someone's going to be misinformed as a result, you know, politely interject, be fucking polite and just say, look, um, this is a kind of a bit of a common misconception. Um, it's probably worth saying that, you know, it doesn't really work that way. Here's why. Here's the evidence. Um, you know, sorry to butt in, but, you know, it's uh, it's not helpful to misinform people. Um, the other thing is, obviously, uh, if you have anecdotal evidence that is contrary to something someone's saying, then at least consider sample sizes. If it's only you and you're, you know, a normal sort of casual hobby painter that just does things at normal ha casual hobby level, you're probably a really small sample size. Um, if you're a professional painter that does all the same stuff that a normal casual hobbyist does, but a lot more of it, then you may be a big enough sample size to start to have a bit of a clearer idea of the bigger picture. Um, a, you know, a, a good example of that is like... Um, when it comes to, I, I was having a conversation the other day about like quality control on brushes. Um, owing to how abusive I am to brushes and how many I go through as a result of that, uh, I get a bit of a clearer picture of the quality control on brushes than most of your average painters because, you know, a lot of folk will go out there, they'll spend 10 quid on a Windsor and Newton, they'll get a good one and they don't need to buy another one for another year because it, because a they don't paint enough to kill it quickly b they're more careful and kind to their brushes than i am so it doesn't die quickly and c they're only buying one brush a year so the sample size is really small whereas i'm buying like maybe 15 a year sometimes depends on depends on what depends on what um rosemary's uh, I can kill one in about three weeks if I'm being nasty to it. Maybe sort of five or six weeks if I'm being a bit more careful. Um, so, you know, I'm probably buying about... When, when I was using Rosemary's regularly, I was probably buying about 15 a year. Um, and I've been using them for a couple of years. So, you know, my sample size is, is quite a bit bigger. Um, not big enough to be definitive, but big enough to be, like you have to be fair and reasonable in these situations someone who's bought 30 of these brushes has a better idea of the quality control consistency than someone who's bought one of them um that doesn't mean that the person that's bought 30 is talking fucking gospel it doesn't mean that that their word is absolutely definitive and proven it just means that they've got a much bigger sample size and that you know you probably need to pay a bit more attention to what they're saying to the person that's only ever bought one um so that you know those are a few things that we can do with bro science um is you know if we're going to challenge it with anecdotes make sure that we've at least got you know a reasonable sample size to your anecdotal evidence so that your challenge isn't just your word against theirs essentially because then it just looks like you're being a blowhard it looks like you're saying i'm right you're wrong um or challenge with actual evidence that is sourced from outside of the industry, you know, evidence that is not likely to be in any way biased. That's always a good idea. Um, or the other option is make your own mind up. Um, one of the things we really love to do as, as GW hobbyists is ask for people's suggestions slash opinions on stuff. Um, and 
when it comes to like, you know, what colors do you think I should paint this mini, right? That's just getting inspiration. It's just getting ideas. Um, but when it comes to actual information, what brushes should I buy, for example? Really, honestly, and, and like, don't get me wrong, I recommend my favorite brushes if people ask me to as well. We all do it. But really, no one can tell you what brushes you should be buying. There isn't another human on the planet that can give you that information. Because I choose my brushes because of the value for money prospect based on obviously my higher use as a professional and the fact that they are the shape that I like. Now, recently, because I've taken on a new sponsor recently, I can now get Broken Toads cheaper. The reason I never tried Broken Toads originally is because they're very expensive. These are like 15 pound brushes. They're not cheap. Um, when they're more than a Winsor & Newton, and I don't like Winsor & Newtons for value for money reasons, obviously I'm never gonna get around to trying this. But now that I have a sponsor that sells them, they give these to me at a discounted price. And that discounted price brings them down to a level where they're actually worth me trying now. They're actually worth me finding out about. And I actually prefer the shape. They still have a really, really fun... So these are both size three brushes. And again, you'll be able to see this even without amazing zoom. Um, actually, no, these are not both size three brushes. This is a size two broken toad, sorry. And this is a size three rosemary and co. Look at the difference in the size of the heads. The size two Broken Toad is fucking fat, but its actual point is the same size as the Rosemary. It has a really, really, really finely tapered point. I can even paint eyes with this thing. But because it's so fat, I never have to constant, I never have to worry about constantly reloading it. It's like basically always wet. You know, I'll sort of dip it once and I'm good to paint for about sort of 15 minutes without needing to reload. Uh, that's what I really like. I like to spend as little time away from the miniature as possible when I'm working. So, you know, because I've now had a chance to try these Broken Toads, I can try them. Um, my recommendation would normally have been Rosemary's because I really like the shape of the heads on them, but the shape of the Broken Toads is even better. Now, whether or not I can recommend Broken Toads going onwards is going to be based on how good the actual value for money proposition is. So I've got to use this until it wears out. I've got to see how long it lasts me. Um, until I know how long it lasts me, I don't know how good the value for money is. And then I've also got to repeat that again and again and again and again to make sure that it's actually, you know, what I truly believe and not just a freak occurrence. So... When I offer a brush recommendation, at the moment it's still Rosemary & Co, and it's gonna be Rosemary & Co for quite a long time still, because at the moment, that is my favorite brush, and it's what I believe to be the best, best value for money proposition. But that recommendation is actually, in the real world, completely useless. Because you might not like the brush for the same reasons I like it. Um, you know, like I like, I like quite soft bristles on a brush, um, not as soft as synthetic brushes tend to be. They tend to be too soft for me. I find that I don't have enough control. But some people like really stiff bristles. Some people like really soft bristles. Some people do not feel remotely confident enough to paint without a really skinny brush. Um, you know, like Winsor & Newton size one and size zero. And I even see people using two zero and three zero. Um, those brushes to me are microscopic in terms of the actual fatness of the bristles. It's just, there's just not, not enough meat there on them. Um, because when it comes to points, like if you're painting fine detail, it's only really the point that matters. 
and actually the points on the larger sizes on like your twos and threes the points are finer on those than they are on the small ones because there's more hairs to taper down to a finer point you know if you imagine if you start off from here you're sort of you know you can't get down to as fine a point if you start off from here you've got time to sort of sweep down in a teardrop shape as the uh, as the brush gets longer um so actually the slightly fatter brushes have finer tips they're better for fine detail but from a confidence perspective you have to be really confident to paint with a fat brush and use it for fine detail um and a lot of people find that really difficult because until until you've actually spent a bunch of time doing it to realize, oh, fuck, this is actually way easier. Um, initially, your brain is telling you that, no, that's wrong. Um, and, and again, this is something I've showed in photographs. I've got um, a brand new Windsor size one out of the packet and compared it to a Rosemary size three. And I've taken a close-up photograph and shown, you know, look, the point is much finer on the Rosemary. The point is way finer. Um, and because it's got more hair leading to it, it's also more reinforced, which means it's easier to control. But like, again, these are these are preference things. Ultimately, um, you don't have to be using the finest point to do the finest detail. It's probably for most people going to be easier. But this is this is what it comes down to: is that you know, recommendations are by and large kind of useless, um, and they open up a lot of room for um, for bro science to sneak in and give us false information you know misinformation or disinformation so instead of asking for recommendations maybe if we adopt the attitude of can you list some brush companies for me i want to try a few different brushes and settle on something new um, and then the understanding is there that you're not asking people to recommend a brush you're asking people to tell them the names of brush companies you know exist so that they can go out and find for themselves which of those is their preference um, when you're looking to change something for the long term, you know, a lot of the time you are going to have to do your own research and you're going to have to try a lot of different things to find which one is best for you. If we always have the attitude of settling on what's most recommended, for example, uh, th that's the worst one is, is just always taking the biggest recommendation. Because if you always take the biggest recommendation painting eventually just becomes homogenized we're all using the same thing using it the same way doing the same thing with it producing the same results all the expression goes out of it because we're all just relying on being told what to do instead of doing things as we think we want to do them uh, so yeah i think one one of the best ways that we can kill the bro science is actually by changing our attitudes and instead of instead of taking suggestions from people and, and thinking about it in terms of what's good or bad think about it in terms of what's what are my options can people can people give me some ideas of my options i need a new gold paint uh i need a new high coverage gold paint what paints do people know of not not what paints do people recommend what paints do people know of and if we start to kind of approach it in that way maybe it's a little bit easier to weed out the bro science and to stop it um, and, and ultimately, you know, I'm going to wrap this up now because we are starting to, we're starting to go a bit long, but ultimately the reason I have such a stake in this, the reason I care so much is because the people who suffer most are the inexperienced, the people that are new to the hobby. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's the reason why it gripes me so much that, that GW sell 20 pound paint clipper, um, sprue clippers or the, you know, 
their brushes are more expensive the, the the same sort of price as Windsor's but they break within the first couple of weeks of using them because the quality control is terrible on them and they will literally pass any fucking brush that has bristles essentially regardless of what condition they're in um the reason these things pain me so much is because it's beginners that suffer it's learners that suffer it's new people to the hobby that suffer those are the people that have the least experience from which to draw their own ideas for what they want what they expect what standard they hold products to um and bro science hurts those people really badly so we need to be doing what we can to not allow it to have such a foothold in the hobby i really do believe that that's important um and I hope that you do too. I hope that you understand where I'm coming from with that. That um, it's a problem because it makes the hobby harder for people. And the hobby's already pretty tricky a lot of the time. There's a lot of conflicting information out there. Um, and bro science is one of the reasons why there's a lot of conflicting information out there. So in the interest of having a healthier, happier hobby where more people are achieving what they wish to achieve... We should try and do what we can to lessen the impact of this effect on our culture. That's all I believe. Um, and the last thing I do want to say on the subject is, like, I've definitely done it. So if you've done it, um, if you've been a purveyor of bro science in the past, understand it is a mistake that we all make. Until you're aware of why it's a problem, it's very hard to understand that you are contributing to it. Um, so if you realise that you've done it, if you realise that you're someone who has actually committed this this crime, I don't want to call it a crime. That's not fair. That's that's really too way too harsh. But you know, if you're someone who has done this, um, you know, don't don't like don't be mad about it. Don't be mad at yourself. Don't be mad at me for pointing it out to you, because um, I've done it as well. Like I've I've done the the bro science thing, and then I've looked back at it and I gone, well, actually, I don't know that. That's just something I've heard. I don't actually know that that's true. That's just something that a lot of people have said. And I'm now relaying that information as if it's true when it's actually just something I've heard a bunch of people say. I've never seen it proved. I've never seen any evidence to support it. I've just seen a bunch of people on the internet saying it. Um, so let's, you know, let's do what we can to, uh, to try and push back against it a little bit uh, in a kind and respectful way, if we can. And... Um, Let's not beat ourselves up if we've done it ourselves because, you know, it's it's very easy to do. And that's kind of the biggest problem with it. That's sort of the that's sort of the main issue with the bro science virus is that it's really, really easy to spread it without meaning to. Um so so don't be mad at yourself. Uh and again, don't be mad at me, please. Please don't be mad at me. I have to have stuff to talk about, right? Um and, and I do genuinely, you know, I would love to see this not be a problem. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a thing, and uh, and we should try our best to stop it from being a thing. That's main topic. Uh, that was 40 minutes of main topic. I apologize for going so long on it. My voice is definitely starting to give now. Uh, I'm going to take a couple of seconds break, and then we will record the final section, which is... What's coming up? So, uh, what's, uh, what's coming up then, man? What's what's coming up? Okay, let's uh, let's take a breath after that lengthy section. I had to have a few sips of coffee after that one. Did not expect to be talking for 40 minutes about that. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of a bigger topic than it initially looks like. Because uh, when you when you start to unpack it, we do it a lot. So, you know, maybe it was worth it. Maybe it was worth uh, 
spending 40 minutes on. But let's not spend any more time on it. We're supposed to now be talking about what's coming up, uh, mainly what's coming up on the channel. So uh, for obvious reasons, first of all, there's probably going to be some Necron-related content soon. You know, I've just won a bunch of Necrons and... Uh, probably gonna make some Necron content. Still decided on a color scheme. I'm gonna just do like a custom color scheme so that I can play them as whatever dynasty I want. Um, I've not done that with a lot of the studio armies, but because I know so little about Necrons, it seems like the most reasonable thing to do. It kind of seems like it would be a bad idea to tie the Necrons down to one dynasty when I don't really know anything about the army. So so I'm going to do a custom scheme, but I've really, I've got to spend some time figuring out what that's going to be, because currently I don't have a plan for it. Um, also, a couple of interesting things coming to the channel soon. And again, I can't promise that these are what's going to come next week. I've got to double check my job list to see what order stuff's being done in. But these are commissions that I know are, are going to be painted very soon. Uh, they're commissions that I know are are near the top of the list. Um, I'm going to be doing... You see that demon prince just, just there behind me? That one? This little chappy here. Tickle, tickle, tickle. Um, he's coming soon. And it's going to be a demon priest of Zinch. And I'm probably going to be going in kind of... Um, ba basically, the client said that they want, like, blues, pinks, purples. Um, so instantly I'm thinking the Synthwave Demon Prince that I painted, um, the one that, like, to this day is probably the miniature that's got the most traction on social media of anything I've ever painted, which is actually really surprising because the paint job overall wasn't great. It was it was like an eBay rescue where I was really trying to kind of pull it back from the brink. Um, but probably going to go with something similar actually probably going to sort of take a second run at that idea but with a bit more knowledge now you know i've developed more as a painter now i i know more i can do more um so that should with any luck be an opportunity to essentially do the same thing but better uh, which i think is great and then the biggest celebration of them all uh because i've been i've been wanting to bring content to you on this for fucking ages but uh you know I am a, I'm a slave to my commission list a lot of the time, and a lot of the content that I bring for you is controlled by what people commission, but um, there's finally going to be some Tyranids content coming. I'm finally going to be painting some Tyranids, and it's Hive Fleet, I want to say Behemoth. Is that the red and the red and the black with the blue teal highlights? Is that is that Behemoth? I always fuck up um, Leviathan, Kraken, and Behemoth for the three that I can never remember the difference between. Like I know that they're all high fleets, obviously, but I can never remember what the color schemes are. Uh, but it's the ones that are mostly red, and then the carapace is black, and it's usually highlighted in like teals. Um, that's gonna be fucking sick. I'm really really excited for it. I love Tyranids. Uh, they're a swarm army, so they don't fit... Well, they don't have to be a swarm army. You, you know, you, there are certainly some Tyranid lists lurking around that are fairly elite. Uh, but... The, they're not an army that I really would be able to collect for myself. Um, they're probably an army that at some point should be added to the studio project. That is, that is a fair thing to say. I probably should do a 2,000 point... Tyranid list for the studio project eventually but um, they're an army that I really like the miniatures for and I'm very very excited to finally get my hands on some so so that's a big one yeah that's definitely a big one Tyranids are a coming 
Um, we're going to be painting. Uh, in fact, you know what? I'm not even going to spoiler it. I'm not even going to spoiler what the miniature is, but it's uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. It's it's one that I really like, and I think is pretty popular with the community as well. So uh, so watch this space, folks. Um, other than that, you know, more of the usual. Yeah, the podcast will continue to flow. Uh, you will continue to to get at least two videos a week, three when I can. Uh, I know I've got a tutorial coming up soon with. Uh, with a friend of mine painting some yellows, so maybe we'll maybe we'll do some content regarding that. Um, yeah, there's 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 a lot of a lot of fun stuff ahead. So, folks, thank you for bearing with uh, my my slightly rambly take on bro science earlier, and uh, and thank you for tuning in for the podcast. If you are listening for free, just one last reminder: go and sub on Patreon. It's only one dollar a month. You get access to my Discord. You get access to the video version of this podcast. You get a free food recipe every month through Patreon because I did used to be a chef. I did that for a very long time and you get a few other nice little tidbits as well it's a bloody good value one dollar patreon and it certainly does help keep the lights on it's um it's instrumental in helping to pay for content it helps sort of keep consumables and stuff like that covered because when you're doing uh, uh you know miniature painting content you have to buy stuff that you otherwise would have no other reason to buy a uh, good example of that is the uh the lotan warden of the soul ledgers that i bought the other day you know that is just for YouTube, no other reason. Um, and when it's painted, it will be probably put into a giveaway, you know? So that's the kind of thing that Patreon helps pay for. It allows me to buy miniatures that you want to see tutorials for. It allows me to buy the paints that I otherwise wouldn't need, that I only need to do that miniature, that kind of thing. Uh, it's really, really fucking helpful, and I appreciate massively all those that continue to support me through Patreon. Other than that, uh, probably time to stop waffling. Probably time to get this thing edited so that I can try and get it up today. Uh, today is Saturday, if you're uh, if you do catch this in real time. So, with any luck, we will get it up today for you. Um, I'm going to get out of here now. But thank you so much for watching this episode of my big fat mouth. Bye, bye, everybody.